0: Yeshua
1: Yeshua Jesus didn't speak English. That's good evening in the language of today's episode, which happens to be Urdu. So today
0: is uh, episode eight. Of Jesus didn't speak English. I almost said JDSC because it's just such a habit between you and I.
1: Isn't it JDSC? I mean, it's both. It's JDSE. It's Jesus didn't speak English. Oh, you just used the whole thing. I was like, wait, isn't the abbreviation? (laughs) Yes. You're real confused.
0: this is episode eight. Uh, Up until this point, Bob, we have been very laser focused on talking about all the different titles and mantles of Jesus that maybe not all of, but a bunch of the different mantles. A lot of them. Mm, encompassed inside the gospels sure. and uh today we are going to breeze through kind of more of an overview of the remaining ones that we had sat down and planned about after this uh, probably about a month long hiatus right a little bit somewhere a little in bit there. of one month and a half It's been some scheduling issues and some you know domestic life I've got a couple young kids you've got a young kid it's a lot to it's a lot to juggle, yeah, so today we're going to cover the remaining Uh, topics that we have and then going forward from here we're going to try to be more topically driven Mm -hmm. cover some different theological ideological current event stuff kind of like whatever comes up and we'll talk about it from a christian perspective and how we can find jesus of the bible through that and how we make sense of the world around us
1: yeah stuff going on in our lives and our friends lives correct a whole lot of things everything
0: concurrent and some things not concurrent so we got that going for us. Okay. So we're going to pray in line with what we've started to do with last episode and invite the Holy Spirit to be a part of this conversation in this episode. Let's do Would it. Would you like to start? Do you want me to start or do you want to play rock, paper, scissors, Pop?
1: Let's rock, paper, scissors for it.
0: Okay. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I'm scissors. You're paper. I cut you. Oh, so I go first? I win. So I'm going to say, go ahead. You go first. All right. And then I'll go.
1: Heavenly Father, uh, I just thank you for this day, Lord. I thank you for this time that we're able to come together and just focus on you, Lord, for a bit. Um, I pray that in this podcast, Father, we'd be able to just keep you front and center in yes. all things that you would lead, that you would lead the conversation, that you would lead uh, the people listening, and that we would just, you know, be able to just bring everything into a clearer focus on you, Lord. Um, just guide our speech. Uh, I pray that, you know, whatever we say or the words you would have us to say, and that this would, you know, just be able to minister however you would have it to go. Thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. amen.
0: So, uh, Lord Jesus, I love you and I thank you for everything that you are and what you have done. I thank you for Bob and for how you have used him in my life, God, and how you are continuing to use us both to fulfill scripture in each other's lives, God. That iron sharpens iron just like a friend sharpens his friends countenance, Lord, and uh I know that's definitely been true in my life. I pray that you will, like Bob said, God, that you will guide, direct our conversation, help us to remember the things that are important and to forget the things that are not. We love you and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The first of the one, two, three, four, we have five topics to cover. So we've got to, we've got to stay on point here. I'm going
1: to have to keep you so focused because- So
0: laser focused. Yeah. The first one Although is- I usually
1: get us off track, so. That's okay.
0: The first one is the Christ or the Messiah, okay? Because they are the same word, okay? And I know everybody's like, what? They're the same word? I don't mean that they're literally the same word. I mean that they are say, the so same could title.
1: Jesus Messiah instead of Jesus Christ? Yes, you can.
0: Because both mean the same thing. So Messiah now and Christ. song. Chris exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Get them, Chris. So Messiah and Christ mean the same thing. In the Gospel of John, I believe it is. I don't remember what the chapter is, but one place in there um John is using the word messiah and he transliterates it into Greek as messias and then he says this means christ or means anointed one i don't remember which one he does in your english bible but either way in the greek text that's what he says messias and how it means christos because they mean the same thing so as we have previously discussed in other episodes the name jesus and the title christ often get smushed together even sometimes as a curse which is really ironic because people are actually just doing what you're supposed to with the name, which is calling out for salvation and the anointed salvation. Interesting, It is. It really is. When I hear it every time I used to get really upset. Now I just, am kind of like, <laughs> you don't even realize that you're doing it right now. You you're a, using it correctly and you don't even know it.
1: Just a video of Tim Tebow, like golfing. I and haven't. he goes to, uh, he's lining enough to take a swing and, uh, somebody behind him does something and they, they shout Jesus Christ. And he just turns and goes, my Lord loves, loves you. Ah, oh, that's what it is. <laughs> he goes you. back and just loves you.
0: I have seen that. I have seen that, which is good. Like uh, a couple of the guys at work when I was still on second shift, uh, would prolifically just throw it out all the time. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. And it, it started to irk me. But what I started to do would, was like, nah, bro, that's not Jesus. Like, nah, that's, that's whoever. Like if it was my buddy, Bob, I would say, no, no, that's Bob. Yeah. And they'd be like, <laughs> ah, Until it got to be like a joke. And then I stopped doing it because then they were doing it just so I would say, no, it's this other thing, but.
1: Well, it's interesting. Just real quick. It's like, go ahead. No one else gets used that way. No one's like, ah, Muhammad or true True. any of the, you know, ah, Krishna.
0: Any of the other false gods. Yeah, I did that. I said it. I'll say it again. So it's just false gods.
1: (laughs) So that's just, that's interesting to me.
0: I would say um, it is interesting. I think it is culturally based most often. Because most of the people that are using Jesus Christ as a curse word are people that have grown up in um, the United States, which is regardless of how Christian or not we actually are as a nation, the quote unquote default religion of the United States has been Christianity. True. And so the taboo, the most taboo thing would be Jesus Christ. Hmm. That being said, in other nations around the world, I don't think they do the same curses and things like that, there's like a whole linguistic backup for those things. So I'm not, I'm not as surprised that it's, I know we usually as Christians are like, yeah, see, that's why he's God. Cause you're just slandering him cause he's God. And yeah, to a point I think so. But I think the bigger thing is we have to remember this is America, which is the default religion is Christianity. True. So I don't put too many eggs in the basket. I do chuckle now most times when I hear somebody say it because I'm like, You are using the name correctly. You just don't even acknowledge what you're doing. Jesus means salvation. I'm going to remind everybody. Jesus means salvation. And the Christ means the anointed or the chosen or the authorized. All those work. So by saying Jesus Christ, you're saying the chosen salvation. And usually it's in a time when you're like, "Eh, well, I was going to say when you really need him, like when you get really upset or when something bad happens. But then you usually just say Jesus. I mean, I've heard of both, like literally on Tuesday. That's yesterday. Sorry. Yesterday uh, at work, um, somebody was relaying like a, a, just a really crappy story of something that happened to somebody. And then they were like, Jesus Christ. And I was like, initially I was like, ah,
1: and then I was like, well, I mean, you're you're still using it correctly. Yeah. I wish you wouldn't, but. I just mean when people like, if you're in a situation where you're calling out for help to the Lord, I've never been like. Like Christians you mean? Yeah. Or like Mm. if, if I'm calling out, I'm never like Jesus Christ help me. So it's mm. just Jesus. There was a time in my life where I would use them synonymously, where I
0: would just as referring to Jesus, sometimes whether I'd be talking or praying, I would talk to him with the name Jesus. And sometimes it would be as Christ. And then as I continued to get more, uh, I guess, mature in the faith, I started to see a distinguishing feature between the two. Sure. Most often when I refer to him in prayer and thought is as Jesus, cause that's his name. And even though he is the Christ, it's like, I can't not see him as that's like a specific role. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. There are also times where I get like real low key with Jesus where I'm like, listen, my guy. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like he understands. Listen, my guy. Oh, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't, I think, mean, I don't think. No, I don't. I don't think so. I hope not. We'll talk about it someday.
0: When it says that we have the ability to go boldly before the throne, right? Mm-hmm. That we, and like. It's a sentence that annoys me because I think we take advantage of it too often of the going boldly, but even though it annoys me, it doesn't change scripture that we can go boldly before the throne. You know what I mean? And being able to go boldly uh, for you might look like, yo, my guy, Um, (laughs) (laughs) I (laughs) (laughs) I find that most often when I'm trying to relay to, especially people outside the faith, the nature of our faith. And like when I, if I'm talking to them about how like the Lord speaks to me or how I pray, I will try to do it tailored to the individual. Right. So like Paul says, I've become all things to all people. So I'm going to try to tailor it to you. How would be most accurate to what I think you would think, I guess is kind of, it's getting a little metacognitive, but like I work in prison. And so Mm. there is an array of vocabulary ability and linguistic ability inside prison. Mm. And sometimes it's vernacular English. Which would colloquially be A-A-V-E. Sometimes it's African-American vernacular English. And so if I'm speaking to somebody who uses that kind of terminology, I'm going to try to relay it in a way that that person can understand. Right. So like I would say things like that to them to uh, express the intimacy. Yo, Jesus, my dude. I never speak to God like that in my own heart, though. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's, I don't think it's disingenuous to say it that way. It's just... Me, I don't speak to God like that, but if I were somebody who actually spoke AAVE, right, it would not
1: be foreign to me to be able to say that to God. Does that make sense? Yeah. I don't think, I don't think God gets super upset or nitpicky. I think he's just happy you're talking to him. I feel like that's the main thing. I I feel like there's a time and a place for it. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I mean, that's literally the whole thing that we've been talking about. The particular word usage.
0: Yes. The relationship is the biggest thing, right? For sure. So, I know the heart of what you're saying, and I'm trying really hard to just acknowledge <laughs> the heart of the message and not do I what I want to do. i struggling, which you is just pick it apart. Look on your face. I, I just want to pick it apart because it's like, eh. I, I think God is, I, I don't have to think. Okay. So I know it says in Psalm 37, right? It says, uh, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Yes. That word in Hebrew is hit anag. Hit anag is a reflexive verb. That's the heat part, if you can hear it there, heat, anag. Anag, if you go back in its etymology, means the look between two lovers that gets exchanged. Mm -hmm. Okay. Very intimate, very passionate, very expressive, right? When you're making eyes at your significant other, you're exchanging all types of layers of communication between the eyes. It's not even verbal, but it's extremely intimate and very passionate.
1: And uh, Sure. I'd call Brianna my dude, though.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm not negating that. (laughs) not negating that. I'm saying that what I see that as, that verse in Psalm 37, is responding in kind to what the Lord already is responding to us as, or reacting to us as, right? So, like the Song of Songs, Song of Solomon, if you prefer. The Jewish opinion is that that is only legitimately scripture when it's understood to be allegory of the Lord and his relationship, the Lord representing Solomon. And from the Jewish opinion, the Jewish people, we would extend that out to all of God's people. Redeemed in Jesus and the Jewish people, okay? That this is the Lord and his intense relationship and our reciprocal relationship to his initiation. And so, if it looks like my dude for you, I'm happy for you. I guess it's a long, short, that's how I can say that. Thanks, pal. If it looks like my dude, then it's your dude or my guy or whatever. <laughs> that's just not how I relate, <laughs> but that's cool. Because like the Lord doesn't need all of us to be like me. Or like you, he just, he needs everybody to be you. And thank goodness he
1: doesn't need everybody to be like me.
0: <sighs> me too, buddy. Because I'm, I'm problematic. problematic. The first topic, okay, as we have circled all around is the Christ. The Christ is uh, a very specific title that Jesus holds. And uh, if you know anything about Jewish people, and if you don't, you're about to. Um, most Jewish people are defined now by the fact that they are still seeking the Messiah. They don't acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah or having been the Messiah. And they are waiting for that figure, the Messiah. I know I said that a lot. What I mean by that, the Jewish understanding of Messiah is not a savior. Okay. Like we covered last episode. Right. Messiah is a king and he is a, like a war leader, a, a warrior right. and a general. Okay. This is a guy who's going, or, well, yeah, he is a guy. This is a guy who's going to come and liberate the Jewish people. And that's the Jewish understanding that the Jewish Messiah is going to come and is going to cast off the oppressors. He's going to institute real world peace. That this is like. If you've ever heard the um, scripture where it says. That they beat their swords into plowshares. That's what's going to happen under the messianic reign. That when the messiah is reigning on the earth. Which Jewish people do acknowledge. That that's going to happen. Uh, there will be real peace everywhere. Whether you're a Jewish person or not. Right. Okay. Which one time? Which, I, yes.
1: Go ahead. But also like.
0: Yes. Okay. Yes. So like inside the church. Uh, I don't think currently. And I got to, I got to refine a little bit. I know that I say a lot of things on here, What I mean by the church, I do mean the church universal, but specifically I'm talking about the filter of Protestantism. Sure. Bob, you and I are both Protestants. We're not Catholics. We're not Orthodox. Um, Correct. Does, so Protestant,
1: what does that include like Pentecostal? Yes. Baptist. Yes. uh, Methodist.
0: Yes. Yes. Anything that's not Orthodox or Catholic is Protestant. Oh, So that goes back to church history um, of the Protestant Reformation. Anything that came after the Protestant Reformation as a branch of Christianity is Protestant. Because if it's not, then it would be part of the church that existed before the Protestant Reformation and through and after, which would be Orthodoxy on one side and Catholicism on the other. Mm. So you have Greek Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox, Russian, Ukrainian, uh, so many other versions of Orthodoxy. Slavic. Slavic. I do think they're a Slavic, but I think they would more distinguish by country. Hmm. But yeah, I see what you did there. Uh, Or like Catholic. So I'm speaking specifically inside Protestant, the Protestant universal church, which would be everybody who believes that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, lived a perfect life, was born of a virgin, died on the cross, rose after three days, and is now alive and waiting with the father. If you hold to those tenets, talking to you. Maybe check your church website if you're not sure. Don't do that because you should know that. I mean, if you, you should. If you don't know those things, you need to email me at jdse.podcast.gmail so we can talk. What <laughs> I'm talking about, though. Let's circle back. Yes, please. Circle back. So if you can hold to those core tenets of belief, not only if you hold to them, but if, if th- that's the, the creed part, all right? That's the acknowledging the, the base facts of reality because that's what that is. It's not do you think it's true. That is reality. Do you understand that? One, if you understand that and then from that you want to be in a relationship with God through Jesus the Christ and you confess those things and they are guiding principles in your life, that is how I understand everything to be about what salvation is. Oh, okay. Now that we have those things out of the way, if all that is true, cool. The Protestant church. I don't think there's a lot of Christology inside the Protestant church. And I said that on purpose. Christology. So, ology is the study of, right? Yes. So Find Christology, there you go. Christology, welcome, welcome to the discussion. Hey, old Christology old. would be the study of the Christ inside Orthodoxy and Catholicism. Among people that are really serious about the faith, they are more studious as uh, a whole than Protestants. Protestants were much more well, emotionally driven. This is just the cold hard facts.
1: No, I'm. Just, you you said because you qualified, and you said people are, who are more serious about the faith. Do you mean? I mean people like inside. So, do you, like, just not do, you somebody, mean, do you mean? Go ahead. Catholics and Orthodox people that are in the Orthodoxy are more serious in general? Or no, are you no, saying no, the people no. that are more serious in those there you go. buckets are more I mean, serious than the Protestants nope, that are nope, serious? Nope. I will re-quantify. Okay. So, that's confused me. On the side,
0: on the left side of the room, just arbitrarily, this has nothing to do with politics or anything else. We have Orthodoxy and Roman Catholicism. Sure. Okay. The old, we could call it the old guard if you'd like, because they were there first. True. Under the new guard of Protestantism, we're on the right side. Cool. And I, the right side of the room. There's no shade here. Cool. So I'm saying the people who are serious in either camp. Yes. All right. The people who are not just nominally a Christian or a Catholic or an Orthodox person. Right. Somebody who's really intent on pursuing the Lord and responding to the Lord on both sides. I'm saying of those two options, the ones that are really serious in the left side on the old guard generally tend to be more studious than the ones who are serious on the Protestant side. Because the methodology of that faith is more strict. It's more tradition-based. Sure. As opposed to like spirit, what what the Protestants would call spirit-driven or, you know, being led by the spirit, which usually ends up looking like you were indicating with some churches, like much more feelings-based. And like, did you feel the thing? Did you, are you, do you have it in there? You know, whatever. I don't, sure. What I'm saying is... The idea of Christology and studying what the Christ is, like part of the reason that we're doing this is because people aren't very studious and because they don't do a good job of looking for themselves. And I've said it before, like it's cool when we're amongst each other that if we're, it's not cool, but it's understandable if we're inside the church, and I don't mean like the building, I mean, if we're amongst other believers and we're not exactly correctly using a term like the Christ or the King or the Savior or the Redeemer, but we're using it to mean God or Jesus, it's more understandable. Kind of, right? It, it makes me uncomfortable. Like I wish you would use the right one because well, that's not what that means. But I can understand it because you understand the basic tenets. But like right. if we're out and about talking to somebody and trying to explain to them these things, you should have a clear understanding of what it is that you're talking about mm-hmm. and wh- who God is and the different roles that He has. And so I'm just saying, like in the people that I have seen, that I would say, "Who judge not, lest you be judged." And with the same measure that you judge, it will be judged against you. So I, I say this trepidatiously i judge very easily and
1: lightly (laughs) the
0: ones that i would say show merit of being serious with their faith Mm -hmm. and this is a standard that i hold myself against already not that that excuses it just it just is you know me bob you know what the standard that i hold myself to i do i think that there are more studious individuals per capita on the old guard than there are in the new guard
1: just in general do you think the new guard outnumbers the old guard um Or at least as far as oof. what we see here. So, like in, oh, the, United in the United States, States I feel yeah, like yes. Sure, so sure. we see. That. I don't know
0: because I don't have it in front of me in Google, but I would say probably that because like there's not looking those numbers up. There's like new denominations that spring up like all the time. Uh, yeah, sure. Like all mm. over the place. Yeah,
1: yeah. Universal Life Church and New like I mean, like everywhere, just like yeah, keep yeah.
0: like popping up and stuff. And I uh I'm just like my the, biggest thing. Are we is like, a
1: little skewed? Like if you went over to Italy and just lived there for 10 years would you have the same view
0: i think if i lived in italy for 10 years i would have a much clearer view of the italian roman catholic church because i think that is the largest contingency of the faith in italy is roman catholicism
1: yeah and that's, i think that's among why I, use that.
0: I think among italians there is what i know to be true is that the spirit can't be kept in a box and in every denomination that recognizes jesus as lord and i mean jesus as hashem jesus as Bave. Everybody that recognizes the facts of reality yep. of what is, that there are, it's the remnant. It's always the remnant.
1: It's the small amount, not yes, the large amount. Yes. Like,
0: of what, what, and this is biblical. This isn't my opinion. This what I'm about to say right now is biblical fact. That the Lord says that he will always keep a remnant for himself. And that you can see this pattern emerge through like Genesis to Revelation of all the times where it was the faithful few. Over the many who well, were like there for, you know, different reasons, or Like whatever. the
1: number that went back to Jerusalem Correct. to rebuild the city. Correct. There were not a lot of them. No, there were like 50,000.
0: Out of approximately, like out of like at least six millions. or seven million. Yeah.
1: Well, that's, like, you see that. That's why I was saying that. Cause like, yeah, yeah, I feel I like know. generally, at least in the Protestant circle, mm. generally when you think of, you know, the Roman Catholic Church, it's very, Procedural. You sure, go there, sure. you stand up and sit down a lot, Catholic calisthenics. And, you know, they don't, you know, they're just there to do the thing. I, I would also really like to. A lot of Protestants do that too.
0: Yes. We just don't, it doesn't look the I agree that it right. doesn't look the same way, but it's absolutely the same reality. You're just there to check the box. That, yes, that that's, and one of the like core principles here with JDSC is we are not looking to check the box. We are trying to ah, show what authentic, Relational faith looks like, because that's that's what that's what it is. I got to keep on track because, like, I want to keep talking about this, but we're gonna maybe next week when we're more topically driven. Yeah, we can just get at it. So, the Messiah, all right, in Jewish thought, still hasn't been fulfilled. In Christian thought, we obviously believe that he has come, that he is here, and that he is now waiting to return as the King. That's the biggest distinguishing point, which brings me right to the next point: Jesus the King.
1: Okay. Go ahead. Jewish people believe in the Holy Spirit because Christ. I came, wouldn't say left that left the Holy Spirit and okay. then went back. Sure. So if he didn't come initially, well, he came but not as the Messiah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do they believe he left the Holy Spirit?
0: Okay, so I don't think that Jewish people would say they believe that Jesus left anything because they don't acknowledge Jesus outside of being a person who existed. Sure. Because it is unequivocally known. That Jesus existed as a human being, whether you acknowledge him as God or not. Yes. It is absolutely, Historically, it is provable. It is absolutely foolish to acknowledge, to not say that he existed as a person because he is the most well-documented person ever. And not just from the Bible standpoint. I mean, like there's tons of secular authors that can, without a doubt, say not only did he exist, but that he was tried and convicted and sentenced to crucifixion. That is historical fact. I would say I would counter with what everybody listening would probably say, the Old Testament, right? I'm yeah. saying Tanakh because I love it. You can say Old Testament. It's the same thing. So from Genesis to Malachi, the word, the spirit is used and specifically the spirit of the Lord. Okay. I don't think that Jewish people would recognize we assign a part of the Godhead to the Holy Spirit as opposed to another spirit. The parent, Whereas,
1: nice. Look at you. Right? I, I was waiting. Nice. I knew it was going to kick in in a second. That's I was the like one I'm, word I'm that I'm not going
0: to... I guess I'm going to acknowledge it. That's the one so Bob is talking about paraclete from paracletos in Greek, which means the comforter. It's, it's an awesome word. You should do a word study on it at some point. Um, so anyway, I don't think Jewish people recognize the spirit of the Lord as being the Holy Spirit because acknowledging God in any form other than Hashem to a Jewish person is abhorrent. And when I say a Jewish person, I mean somebody who practices Judaism, who doesn't acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah. So there's that. Circling back to the king, right? I don't think they do. I think that in my understanding, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of the Lord. Okay. So like, to me, I don't see it. It's not a distinguishing feature. And like the angel of the Lord, as we've previously mentioned, is a theophany, which is an apparition of the Godhead in bodily form, but not Jesus, because it's prior to Jesus actually being born. And so when I see the angel of the Lord who speaks literally in place of God, in place of the Lord, that's Hashem, that's yod That's Jesus in the Old Testament. When I see the Spirit of the Lord, that's the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. When I see the three people that come down and talk to Abraham at the Oaks at Mamre, and then one stays, that's the Lord, and then two leave and go into Sodom and Gomorrah. The two that go into Sodom and Gomorrah, that's Jesus and the Holy Spirit, who all of Sodom and Gomorrah tried to sodomize. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that. And then they
1: just. And then
0: they were destroyed. Dropped
1: the holy hand
0: grenade. Oh boy. The holy just. You get erased from everything except for memory. Also, goodbye. Yeah. So, there's that. Um, The Christ. The Messiah. A big thing in the Jewish perspective, and I know I bring it up a lot because it's extremely important because Judaism is the foundation that Christianity is laid on. So, if you don't know that, welcome to the conversation. But, in the Jewish understanding, the Messiah is um, kind of like this interim. And what I mean by that is... Uh, We know, or if you don't, you're about to, the root of David, right? This is Jesus is titled as the root of David, the one who is going to inherit David's throne. All right. So he's a king. Even in David, David was anointed as king for years before he actually became the physical king. So he he was running
1: from Saul for a while.
0: He was. And there's an interesting analogy in that, that he was anointed the entire time. He was the anointed one and an anointed one. Okay. And okay. then for years, he didn't actually see kingship. And there's an interim of space where he's anointed, but he wasn't physically the king yet. We're there in Jesus.
1: Are you saying that Jesus was the anointed one the whole time?
0: I'm saying, well, not as David in like a weird way, but I'm saying no, like, no, so I'm just... that now Jesus has been anointed as king. Okay. He is the anointed one. And then now we're in this interim period where he isn't physically king on earth, but that time is coming. Um, and that's what I mean by like, when we're saying that Jesus is the King and we're saying, come King Jesus or like, you know, anything like that. Jesus, while the Lord is the King of the universe that hasn't changed. Jesus is going to be physically King of earth and reign on the earth. That's called the messianic era and it's coming. So Jewish people say, if you ask a Jewish person, like one time I saw, there was a guy that I knew he was a rabbi and I asked him and I said, can you give me the Jewish perspective on the Messiah? Like, what is that supposed to be? How is it that you know that Jesus isn't the Messiah? And one of the things that they told me is that there's still war on the planet. There's still conflict. Mm-hmm. That when the Messiah is here, there will be no war. There's going to be real peace, literal peace, because he will be reigning and ruling and you will not rebel against him because then he will put you down. So this idea, I see you making a face. Oh yeah, I'm making a face. So it says that Jesus is going to rule with a, ra- with a rod of iron. What do you think the iron rod's for? For whooping.
1: I was to say for smacking it's for whooping
0: with an h whooping okay literally and it says it compares it to glass jars or not glass clay jars being broken with the rod i mean it's it it's a it's a very specific picture
1: that sounds like uh worse than my mother whooping i don't yeah. want one of
0: those yeah no i don't no thank you i'm good what do i need to do okay i'm gonna do exactly that no right. problem
1: so there's that also um, go ahead. jesus going straight to the metal rod like don't not go get that switch off the tree <laughs> or, you know, no, he's got taking this. his belt off. He's got it right he's there. going Straight hand. to the metal rod. You want to know something crazy to me in Zechariah? All
0: right. In Zechariah, I think it's 14. It says that in the millennium reign, when the, when the Messiah is reigning in Jerusalem, that year to year, all the families of earth will come up to Jerusalem to celebrate Sukkot, which is one of the biblical feasts. And it's a very specific one when they come up that if they don't come up, that there will be there will be no rain in their land and there will be like the plagues of Egypt that will be put on them. Okay. Yeah. Go read Zechariah so you can understand what I'm talking about. Cause I'm paraphrasing. The craziest part to me is that the millennial reign exists. All right. It's a thousand years. That's the millennium yep. of Jesus reigning physically in Jerusalem. Okay. Yeah. So this is before I believe new Jerusalem descends. Yes. I think it's my understanding. So after that, this enti- I forgot to say this entire thousand years, Satan, the enemy, the devil. The dragon has been locked up in the abyss, bottomless pit, just falling for a thousand years, and then at the end of the thousand years, yeah, falling. At the end of the thousand years, he's let out. Now, here's the craziest part: when he gets out, he convinces
1: a lot of people,
0: like most of the world. Again, again, going back to the 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 remainder versus the the big part. He convinces most of the world who has literally seen Jesus in the flesh, God in the flesh, reigning as a king in Jerusalem. For generations. For 1,000 years, they have seen this. They have known it. And still they're going to be able to say, screw that guy. That's crazy to me. Like when I understood that and people were like, well, I would believe in God if I could see him. And I was like, no, you won't. One, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. Because like literally. That's a good point. There will be people who will see him face to face. And this is no longer like, well, he, maybe he's God. Maybe he's not God. This dude is reigning Mm. the King. Yes. And you don't like it. I don't care. You still have to acknowledge it. And if you don't, at the end, they're going to try again to rebel and then fire from the heaven is going to descend and engulf everything. And you're done. The craziest part to me is like that. That's the King being subjects of the King now. And that that's part of our reality that we acknowledge him willingly. But understand that I think it's Philippians, right? It's Philippians 2, 10 and 11, maybe? Sure. That it says every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, right? Uh, that sounds about right. I think so. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Some of those knees are going to be bending forcibly and some of them are going to be bending willingly. It is Philippians 2, 10 and 11. Thank you, thank you. But either way, they're going to bend and either way, that tongue's going to confess it because it's the truth and it is reality. True. And that like the wildest part to me though is like, uh, well, I would believe if this, no, you wouldn't. Cause if you believed, you would just believe when I realized that within the last couple of years that like, it's not a lack of information or a lack of evidence. It's, it's either you respond or you don't respond. Many are called, but few are chosen.
1: It's your heart, man. It's responding. It's mm-hmm. responding to that. Do you think Tell me. when Jesus is reigning in Jerusalem for the thousand years, mm-hmm. will we be able to see him? I, I, I absolutely think so. Yes.
0: Well, he, I'm also curious to see what our position is in it. What do you mean? Depending on how you read Revelation, where will we be in proximity? You know what I mean? I don't know. Right. And this is stuff that like this part of the discussion... You mean like will we still be in the United States? Because how, do, how does everybody Bruno. go to
1: Jerusalem in that case? Are they remaking Pangaea? I don't think God
0: ever made Pangaea. I'm just going to put it out there. You I know that's, that's a thing? prevailing opinion. I don't really think it's accurate. Don't really care if you think it's true or not. But, but I don't think so. I've got questions, Lord. Uh, he's got answers. Whether you get them or not, I'm not sure. Alright, so... What we're about to say, everything and from this point forward is going to be conjecture based off of biblical understanding. So not biblical fact. I'm going to tell you right now that some of this is, this is my opinion, having read Revelation.
1: Well, also a lot of this is our opinion. Like you can look all this stuff up yourself. Sure, sure. I mean, when I'm saying this is biblical
0: fact, it's undisputable. I can point you to scripture and verse that says this is exactly it. And you don't have to like it or not, but it's there. You have to square that with the Lord, not me. Like that's you and the judge's discussion. Mine is already settled. So if you read through Revelation, the messianic reign and the thousand year reign is after what most people would consider the apocalypse. There's a lot of death in the apocalypse. Like a lot. Like a couple times it said a third of a mankind, like a third of mankind. If you do that a couple times, that's two thirds of mankind. And so like, I don't know what it's going to look like in terms of, I don't know. The easiest answer is I don't know. I don't know what it's going to look like. I I can't I, I can't even imagine, to be honest. I'm saying I don't know what our position is going to be in terms of like, if you were a saint that died before the apocalypse, are you back on earth now? Or right. not? I'm not sure. There's a lot of- Where are you during, I know, the, during the- I know that there's morning. a lot of people that- um, I love studying Revelation because it's phew, You've mind been really blowing. on
1: the Revelation kick recently. Yeah. Uh, it's- important,
0: but it's important stuff, but I don't teach from it where I say this is fact because there's so much inside revelation. That's like, I know, and I can track other people's thought processes and say like, okay, I see how you're saying this is this. And that is that. And I respect it, but like, ah, I don't, I don't know that enough to say this is what it is.
1: Do you think it's also because revelation is like the one book in the Bible? Well, I guess others do ish but like it's the one book that really specifically deals with like future things that have not yet happened all the a lot of the other the, all the rest of the Bibles in the past it's things that have happened so I'm doing a maniacal like you finger are, thing you're twiddling your fingers and
0: I'm so revelation nervous. is heavily quoted like heavily heavily quoted from Daniel from Jeremiah Isaiah Zechariah Old Testament prophets like one of the key aspects of prophecy is foretelling the future so the, the Bible as a document cross-references itself like close to 65,000 times. It's, it's a lot. I would say Revelation is more, it's hard to understand because the nature of prophecy. Because mm. how much of it is trying to sift through like, okay, is this a physical thing? Is this a spiritual thing? Is this like when Jesus is initially presented in chapter five, okay? Okay. John is sitting around with the elders before the throne and God, the father, the ancient of days is sitting on the throne and he has the scroll with seven seals written on the front and back and he holds it up and God doesn't speak. But an angel, a big, strong angel says, who is worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals thereof? Mm. And it's silent. It's just crickets, except crickets aren't even talking. It's just silence. And John even says nobody in heaven or in earth or under the earth or in the sea, nobody says anything. And John starts to lose it. He starts to lose his mind. He's weeping. And an elder says, yo, bro, cut it out. Just cut it out. Why are you weeping? He like, look, here comes the Lion of Judah, the Root of David, who has conquered and is worthy to open the scroll. And then John says, and I saw the one who looked like a lamb who was slain, having seven eyes and seven horns. So I don't know if you've seen like a ram ever. Usually they have two horns. I've seen them. And they have two eyes. Yes. So like when John is saying, and he sees the lamb who looks like it's been slain, and I know it says lamb in most English translations. I'm looking at it right now. The Greek, I know. The Greek is actually arneu, which is a, could also be a ram. I'm just putting it out there. So it's the ram standing there. Well, it could be either. It's either not,
1: way, that thing's nightmare fuel.
0: If it has literal seven eyes and literal seven horns, it could be. But like in biblical symbolism, horns are representative of power or powers. Okay. Like a power. And so like the beast that John sees coming out of the ocean, it has like 10 horns. And so do I think that it actually is a physical beast that we're going to see on the planet that has seven or 10 horns? No, I don't think so. I think those are symbolic to represent what's going on. It's and so like, it's that is why revelation is hard to understand. Mm. Okay. I don't have an easy way to segue into this. So I'm just going to segue right into, I'm just going
1: segue back we're on just, track.
0: We're just dropping right off of revelation. There's a lot there. Read it and pray for the Holy spirit to illuminate Jesus to you in it. Cause that's what I've been doing. And it's, I've, I'm making strides, but
1: man, there's so much. I'm there. sure it will come up again in later it episodes. It will absolutely
0: come up. The next one is Jesus as the word. Okay. And I have this slashed as the Torah or the law. So do you know what the word Torah means, Bob?
1: I'm going to surprise you and say, no.
0: <laughs> so the Torah, usually, if you're talking again to a Jewish person, that's the first five books of the Bible, right? Genesis, oh, I Exodus, know Leviticus, that. Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It's I'm okay. a
1: Doofus. Nope not at all oh, so wait, we can use negative talk
0: i'm saying in the actual word the torah the torah means the law or the instruction or the statutes or teaching okay it's, it's yeah. kind of like all those john in john 1 1 says that jesus is the word right yep yes he does he says that he is the logos it's begin. it's like a really big thing in john's gospel that jesus is the account of god that he is the logos of god one of the things that i love about what he did in the beginning of his gospel is that he specifically draws reference to Genesis 1-1 in the Greek Septuagint. Because whether you know it or not, most of the early church was interacting with the Septuagint and not a Jewish version of the Old Testament. So, Torah, first five books. Yes. Septuagint. Genesis to Malachi. I thought that was Tanakh. That is the Tanakh. I'm saying that's it. The the Septuagint is a Greek trans, uh, a manuscript. It's a specific manuscript. Tanakh is... Tanakh is the Genesis to Malachi books. Also, interestingly enough, why we're talking about it right now, because it's relevant. In the Old Testament, right? Yes. OT. Yep. OT is Genesis to Malachi, right? Correct. Okay. And basically every English Bible today. Yes. Except for the Catholic Bible. If you have a Catholic Bible, it will have different ones in there. Okay. The Catholic Bible will have the Apocrypha is usually what it's referred to. Oh, yeah. Or the Deuterocanon, yep. if you prefer. The Deuterocanon and the Apocrypha are present in the Septuagint. You should be like, wow, that's really cool.
1: Wow, that's really cool.
0: Yeah, but do you know why? Not a clue. So again, I'm going to say it again. The early church and the people of Jesus' day, they were not interacting with a Hebrew Old Testament. They were interacting with a Greek Old Testament.
1: So the Greeks added in Nope, nope, nope. They're not
0: Greek. They're Jewish people. The men who translated... So the the legend of the Septuagint, okay? Because it's really, really old. It's from like 325 BC, okay? The legend is that 70... Or 72, depending on which legend you like to listen to. Doesn't really matter. 70 or 72 scribes got together and translated the Old Testament from Hebrew into Greek. The legend of the Septuagint is that all of the scribes gave exact same manuscripts of the content, that there was two from each tribe, or there was a number from each tribe that would work out to be 70. My math's not great. 70 or 72, okay? And that each one, when they turned in their manuscript, For all of the books, they all matched perfectly. That's the legend of the Septuagint. Six from each tribe. There you go. Six times 12 is 72. Copy that. So that's like the could be, couldn't be part of it. Okay? Doesn't really matter. The important part, okay? Two things. One, the oldest surviving complete copy or extant manuscript that we have of the Old Testament is the Septuagint from 325 BC. The Masoretic Text That didn't happen until about 7 or 750 A.D., so 1,000 years later. Most English Bibles today, their Old Testament is translated from the Masoretic Text, which is not a problem. All right? Don't get yourself in a bunch. All right? However, it is noteworthy. And the more that I have studied in the original material, you know that I have two Bibles that are right behind me, Bob. And I know you've seen them a billion times. Correct. So, I have the Greek New Testament. And then I have a Tanakh. Now, reading the Greek New Testament, I have two different versions of it. One of them puts it in bold. One puts it in italics. But either way, when it's in bold or italics in those respective copies of the Bible, those are quotations from the Old Testament that are italicized or emboldened. Now, when you are looking up the quotes, even in your English Bible, usually it'll be in all caps if it's a quote in the New Testament from the Old Testament. When you look that up and you look up the reference, if you go back in English and read the reference in your English Bible, sometimes they don't match exactly. Do you know why? Because of the differences between the Masoretic text and the Septuagint. Because in the text that existed on the time that Jesus and the initial church was here, that was a Greek text of a it was a Greek translation of the Hebrew scripture that they were using and that they were familiar with and that they quoted from. It was the Greek, not the Hebrew. And the Greek has the Apocrypha, and the Greek has the apocrypha. So, just I, putting it out there, that's just like a use long. The apocrypha. Well, that would be going back, circling back to the the old guard, new guard. That's why mm. new guard, because new guard, not old guard, because that's got like the books of Jubilee and stuff. It's got Jubilee, Tobit, Esther, or Esdras, Wisdom, Ben It's got. Uh, did I say? No I think that's most of them. Either way, mm. that part is like small potatoes to me. I think it's interesting for
1: sure. That feels like big potatoes if parts of the Bible are not there. Wow.
0: <sighs> okay. So to address that, even in the Catholic church, the Catholic church considers them deuterocanon, which means secondary canon, as in not of primary importance. And then specifically how we get it into an English Bible. The Masoretes were a, another group of Jewish scribes that took existing Jewish manuscripts and then compiled them. They didn't take or away or add in or anything. But the way the Hebrew language functions is that when you write it, you don't have to write the vows in. So, the Masoretes came along and they put all the vows in the traditional places that they existed because Hebrew was dying out as an everyday spoken language. Hmm. And in many places of the world, it had already died out as a spoken language. And so, people were already not able to read the Hebrew as effectively if you weren't very intelligent or not very intelligent, but very educated. And so the Masorites came along and pointed it so that it would be easier for people to understand and be able to read because you have to know more to be able to read it without the vows. That's interesting linguistically for a lot of reasons. One, because the Lord does things and leaves fingerprints all over the place. I think it's particularly interesting that 300 years before even Jesus existed, that God translated into Greek, the Hebrew scriptures kind of indicating where things were going. Hmm. Hey, this is coming down the chain. Like this is coming along the pipeline. Even the fact that Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, yeah. right? So prolifically, that is a quote from Daniel, but that's a quote in the Greek, not in the Hebrew, because it wasn't even in Hebrew. That part of Daniel is in Aramaic. Hmm. And so if he was quoting from the Aramaic, it would be Enosh, and he would have called himself Enosh over and over again, but he didn't. He called himself Son of Man. Weos Anthropu. Big things. Anyway, how is Jesus the Word, the Torah, the Law? Okay. So I'm going to say these things, and I might step on some toes. But I'm going to try to do it quickly and gently. So, It's probably going to be painful. We all know that John says Jesus is the word. In the beginning, yes. he was the word. One of the things that I started to say and then I got off track with was the prevailing Jewish opinion that I've heard of, especially on, amongst people that study Torah and all that, is that when God spoke creation into existence, that he did it with the tool, so to speak, of the Torah, that the Torah is actually the physical origination point of everything that we see. That when God said, let there be light, that actually the Torah did that. Okay. And it's lined. I know you're making a face. Okay. Outside on my coffee thing, there is a proverb that it's lined up with. And it says, you possessed me in your hand before all of your mighty works of old. And that you did this through me. And this is lined up in, I believe, the Midrash of uh, in the beginning when God is creating the Midrash. It's sorry. Good point. The Midrash is a traditional Jewish commentary and understanding of things in the Bible. It's either in the Midrash or the Mishnah. I can't remember which one. What's the Mishnah? It's the same thing. It's a commentary <laughs> on the Bible. Got it. Just like the Talmud, what's that? It's another one. It's, these are Jewish religious compendiums, okay? So, in the Mishnah or in the Midrash, I can't remember which one, it pairs that proverb with Genesis and with how God creating everything, that the Torah is the one that's doing it. The interesting thing is that John is making the same case that he says in John 1, he says after, in the beginning, the word was with God and the word was God. That's Genesis 1, 1. In the Greek, and Arche. And in John's, and Arche, it's a direct reference. Again, quoting from the Greek Old Testament. So there's that. Then he says, and all things were made through him, and not a thing that was made was made apart from him. That lines up with the prevailing Jewish thought that the Torah is the one that made the things. Jesus is being equated to the Torah in John chapter one. Okay. Which is cool. I'm like, yes, I'm so with it. Because if you read- I'm tracking now. Yes. You read in like the Psalms, you read in these other places, and you see how the law of the Lord is good, right? It's- Light into your path. It's all these other things, yeah. and then we have Pauline doctrine that comes in, and like Romans seven, where it says that law is death, and it's like, ah, I love you, Paul. I love you, bro. I understand the point that you're making. Also, like, how can the law I mean, be death and the, life at the same time? Because it can't be.
1: Well, it is and it isn't. I was gonna say it is because, <laughs> like, the law is if I try to fulfill it. It is if ah. I try to fulfill the law. Sure. Go ahead. I miss.
0: Yes. I'm so glad you said you missed. Did you do it on purpose? Yes. Good for you. <laughs> good for you, Bob. Go me. So.
1: I'm learning, guys.
0: <laughs> sin, the word for sin in Hebrew is chata. Miss the mark. Which means to miss the mark. The word for to hit the mark is yara, which is the root word for Torah. Torah is to hit the mark. So to say that Jesus is the Torah is on the nose, right? Because he is the word made flesh. He is the law made into a person. And he is good, even though the law is harsh. And that's like Paul's point that. Why would you want to be under the law? Because the law makes you enable to do all the things that you want to do. And I understand his point. I'm also like, yes, but Jesus is the law. And I know that like ruffles a lot of feathers, especially people that say like the law was for a specific time and then it stopped. I disagree politely, but you know, hey, I'm going to put it out there. That's between you and the judge. It's not for me. I don't, I don't need to get into that. But anyway,
1: that's where people like to put like, yeah.
0: We end up doing, not just people, we do it too. Like everybody does it where oh, we- Oh, I was,
1: I was referring to myself yeah, as
0: well. I know. I'm just I'm in the clarifying, collective but, people.
1: <laughs> you're, you're a person?
0: <laughs> <laughs> we all do it where we make things that are trivial, like foundational,
1: mm-hmm. and we
0: shouldn't. Essentially, it just- it And shouldn't. we harp on other people for it. Yes. If it's your conviction, that's your conviction. If it's not- That's foundation. the one I was looking for. Conviction. People have different convictions. So- the last two would be Jesus, the rabbi slash teacher. Every time in the gospels that Jesus is addressed as teacher, teacher in your English Bible, understand that the word that's written in Greek is Ravi, Ravi. That means rabbi, rabbi. I believe in Mark, they use Rabboni, which it, I don't think it would show up was, in English.
1: Yeah, but. You saw me looking, but
0: it's probably not. There. It might. They might do it once or twice as a transliteration, but Rabboni is Aramaic for the same title in the Hebrew. It doesn't really matter. I say that to say this, there has been large periods of time in church history and even some parts of today's history that people are really anti-Semitic and they don't understand a lot of things. They don't understand that Jesus did not coincidentally become a Jew, that he's not accidentally Jewish. He is the epitome of what it means to be a Jew, especially in today's world. The epitome of being a Jew especially in today's world, I would say would be the rabbi, right? This is like the highest Jewish office that currently exists inside the religion of Judaism. So a rabbi, what is a rabbi? A rabbi is someone who is a teacher, but I would say with complete and total conviction that a rabbi, while every rabbi is a teacher, not every teacher is a rabbi. Does that make sense? Hang on. Every Every, rabbi is a teacher. Every teacher. But every teacher is not a rabbi. Okay. Okay. And so I'm not mad at translation, right? Translation exists and it's good. So it is a faithful translation to say rabbi means teacher. Sure. However,
1: teacher does not mean rabbi.
0: No. And that's part of the issue that I have with it. That I think there are some people in the new guard, and maybe even some of them in the old guard. I'm not sure. Those Protestants. That would be, yeah, Protestants and Roman Catholics or Orthodox. I think there would be enough of us that would be surprised. By the fact that Jesus was a rabbi, like he's not the first Pope Orthodox don't have Pope, by the way, that's just Catholics, but he's not a priest in the sense of a Catholic priest. He doesn't wear the collar. He was a rabbi and everything that that meant to be a rabbi. Like, in fact, you could say it is foundational in the way that our faith is supposed to be lived. Like Hmm. I understand even, and I know there might be some people who are listening and saying, but Jeff, wait, wait, wait. Jeffrey, Jeffrey from Justin speak English. Wait, what about in Matthew where Jesus says, call no man rabbi because you're all brothers? Hmm. And I would say, you got me there. You got me there.
1: <laughs> so i say he's not a man.
0: Well, no, what Jesus was giving explicit instructions to the, his students, to his disciples, right? And he was saying going forward that you should not, any of you, call each other rabbi because you're all brothers.
1: Oh, it's Matthew 23, verse Correct. 8. But do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, and you are all brothers.
0: Exactly. And who is our teacher? It, Jesus. It is. It also is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit brings all things of Jesus to our remembrance.
1: Verse nine is like, do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. Correct. Do not be called leaders, for one is your leader. That is Christ. Correct.
0: So there's a lot of things in there that most of us just happen to overlook most of the time. I don't know that that I've ever
1: read those verses
0: before in my whole life. That makes one of us. (laughs) Uh, I mean, I, maybe
1: I've read them, but I I don't don't think that
0: that he meant that I can't call my dad, dad. Right. I don't think so. I do think he meant don't call other people that like the old card When you go and confess all your things to him, just going to put it out there. Pretty sure it says that right there. Don't do that. Bob's trying to contain his breath. Uh, Don't do that. But anyway, my point being that Jesus was a rabbi, and before he ascended into heaven, his instructions were very specific. This is what we usually refer to as the Great Commission inside the body of Christ, mm. that he said, go now in the same way that I have led you, I'm I'm translating for you because that Greek word is, Okay, in the same way now that I have led you, go and lead all people and make all people into disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Mm. So he says to continue this relationship of a mentor and a student, because that's how Jesus did it with his disciples. He said, go now in the same way and do what I have done and make students of all people. One of the things you sent me recently, Bob, that screenshot about the takeaway from Asbury revival. Also, if you're listening right now over in um, Asbury, is that university, right? Asbury university. There's a massive revival that's been going on for a while now, and there's revivals popping up all over the place. Yes. In the country, outside of the country. One of them was Uganda, right? I think so. Which I love because shout different. out to Musisi. Hey, my man. Uh, he's a pastor that I have a friend, a friend over there in Uganda. Anyway, yes. So I'm read some of the takeaways from that, Bob.
1: The main takeaway from the Asbury revival is this. There is a piano player, a guitar player, and a single drum. Hard chairs, ugly interior. The lights don't dim. No one's serving donuts. Not a single smoke machine. No fancy lights, no timers, no perfect productions, no leader and no teams, no hierarchy or competition, no kids class. Nobody greets you in the parking lot. Literally no structure whatsoever. Apparently the only thing needed to attract people to God is God. Why do we make it so complicated? And then it gets into, you know. So what I get from
0: that is apostolic stuff, like from the apostolic age, like after Jesus, when you read in Acts, right. And after Jesus has um, ascended. And everybody in the church in Jerusalem had everything in common and they were selling all their property and living together and communally and really just waiting and relying on the Holy Spirit. That That's what that looked like, like that.
1: Yeah. And I'm with it.
0: I'm like, with it. You but, see
1: things about the revival, like just on the, you know, on the revival, go like you see people there, they're giving out food for free for people standing in line. They're handing out all these, you know, water, whatever else, yes. blankets, et cetera, just for free, just because you're there that,
0: and I think it's because it's actually being led by the spirit, that that's what the spirit does. That there's, again, you have no leader because you only have one leader and that's Christ. Right. And if we were all of one mentality doing that, that's what this would look like. We
1: wouldn't need leaders
0: because- It would look like Asbury. It would be people of the spirit coming up at a time and saying something. And this, honestly, it even kind of made me think of the Quakers, which are called the Society of Friends, Mm -hmm. as a formal denomination, quote unquote. Um, They don't have a preacher. It was spirit led. It's essentially you just all got together at wherever you met and whoever felt like the Holy Spirit told them to say something, they would get up and
1: say something. That's literally what they're doing. And in it's essentially
0: Asbury. exactly like, like, like exactly like what's going on if, in Asbury. If you just, feel led
1: to sing, you get up and you go sing your song and, and you do your thing. You know, I'm with it. Just thought that was interesting about the rabbi thing.
0: Yeesh. That Jesus is not coincidentally Jewish. He was very Jewish. He was a rabbi and the rabbi student or disciple, if you prefer, because disciple means student The rabbi-student relationship is enormous. Jesus Mm. is supposed to be our rabbi, and that's how I understand Matthew 23. That Jesus says, don't you call each other rabbis because you only have one who is your teacher. Right. That is God himself. But as it relates to how we're supposed to help others come into the faith is through this discipleship. That's a big buzzword right now in the American church. Mm -hmm. And it should be because discipleship is foundational to our faith. Unfortunately, most of the time in the new guard of Protestantism, what church looks like is the things that are listed on that list that you said, fog machines and timers and donuts and coffee. And like, I'm not mad at coffee and donuts. I love coffee and donuts. Same. Um, I'm not mad at things that sound really nice. I am mad at those things when they come in the way of God, Mm. when they are placed as more important than what's supposed to be important, which is the spirit moving. And the word being put out and everything else. But it's balance. Okay. The last and not least, okay, I was reading recently, Bob, and one of the things that the Holy Spirit was pulling out of the texts that I was reading was, oh man, I can't remember where it is in the gospel, but the Jewish Pharisees or the high priests or the scribes, one of those four groups that are mentioned all the time, they're all talking about Jesus and they're asking whether or not he can be the Messiah, okay? I think it's in Mark, but I'm not sure. It, It could also be in Matthew Luke or John, because those are the
1: Gospels. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, cool. Any of the four. Let me just breeze through them very quickly. Well, I'll
0: tell you, and then you can Google it if you want. So they're talking amongst themselves, and one of them says, don't you know anything? This dude can't be the Messiah, because the Messiah has to be from Bethlehem. And he's from where? Nazareth. Nazareth. And then one of them says, like, what good comes out of Nazareth? Actually, I think that was Nathaniel, but either way. The thing that shocked me, Right. That the Holy Spirit pointed out was this. You ready? Ready for it? Yes. One of the things that they say is that the,
1: uh, that Jesus has, that the Messiah has to be from Bethlehem. You find it? It's in John seven. Oh man. John seven, starting at verse 40. Go ahead. Read it. Some of the people, therefore, when they heard these words were saying, this certainly is the prophet. Others were saying, this is the Christ. Still others were saying, surely the Christ is not going to come from Galilee. Is he? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the descendants of David and from Bethlehem, the village where David was? We know in
0: Matthew and in Luke, right? There are two things in the beginning of their, their gospels, which are the genealogies of Jesus. That Matthew records the genealogy of Joseph, his legal guardian, who is a descendant of David legally because he's his stepfather. And Luke records Mary's genealogy, who also is a Judite and his blood relative connecting him to the Messiah. We also know, I believe it's in Luke that there's a census and everybody has to return to where their ancestral homeland is to be counted among the census. That's in Luke's. Yes. And that Jesus we know is born in what? In Bethlehem. In a manger. In a manger in Bethlehem. So according to, and this was the, so I'm going to get, this is the big reveal. The part that blew my mind is how often God checks off the box of prophecy but I think intentionally does it in a way that we don't consider valid. So the Jewish guys who are studied in the law, these are guys who have dedicated their lives to knowing the material, to knowing the code, to, to, to study, okay? Yeah. And they're like, even quoting it right now, don't you know what it says? It says that he has to be of Bethlehem from the village where David was and from his descendants. This dude's from Galilee. Cool. But he is David's descendant and he was born in Bethlehem. So technically he is from Bethlehem. Mm-hmm. He's also of Nazareth, which I'm not sure. I didn't actually check, and I should have in preparation for this. I don't remember if there's actually a scripture or not that says that the Messiah is going to be a Nazarite. But if it does, Jesus also fulfills that because what town is he from? Nazareth. Nazareth. Now I know that tech now we as people would be like, yeah, but what's a Nazarite? A Nazarite is somebody like Samson, right? Who takes the Nazarite's vow, who abides by the dictates of the Nazarite vow. The thing that astonishes me or was astonishing again is that God fulfills the prophecy, but sometimes it looks nothing like what we would expect. And we would be like, well, that's technically true, but that's not really true. It's just technically true. Well, both are true. What (laughs) I'm hearing is God
1: loves technicalities.
0: Uh, I don't know that he loves
1: technicalities as much as it's like, I feel like he just sits up there and is like, (laughs) like, he's just, he's highly amused at the things that he's like, I put it right there. Like, you guys just didn't see it. Like, he's into riddles. Yeah.
0: Paul even said... It it makes him
1: chuckle when you try to solve these
0: things. When you try to put God in a box, God has a great way of showing you just how small that box is and how incapable it is of holding him. Hmm. And so, like Paul says it, that he uses the foolish things of the world to confuse the wise people. And like, Hmm. case in point, with the Jewish guys who were like... He's not from Bethlehem, he's from Galilee. Well, technically, yes, to both. He is from Bethlehem and he is from Galilee because he was born in Bethlehem. And I understand that in the typical convention to be of a place is to live there. Most often Jesus is referred to as Jesus of what? Of Nazareth, because he is from Nazareth, because he lived in Nazareth, which I think also is specifically amusing. The last thing I'm going to say, okay? Nazareth is from the Hebrew netzer. Netzer In the outline. So I'm on the blue letter Bible. Okay. I see it. It's a fantastic resource. Yep. It's got the outline of biblical usage. All right. This is four times in the KJV, it's translated as branch. Hmm. (laughs) Another technicality that we have. I see what you did there. Over and over again in prophecy, like in Isaiah, so many times, it says that there is a branch that shoots up out of the desert.
1: That's Nazareth. I'm the branch. That's Jesus. In
0: Nazareth, even in the place where he's from, Nazareth, me, it comes from netzer, which means to shoot up, to shoot up as a branch, which I think is awesome. And from there, it goes the actual like root word for netzer, because netzer is a noun from the verb is natsar, which means to guard or watch or to keep over something to like to guard in a good sense, which sure. is, I, I think it's just oh, it's so wild. It's so wild that Jesus like over and over again, that God is just leaving, like, breadcrumbs like a trail of breadcrumbs in places that we don't think to look or that we don't expect and every time I find it I just am like oh
1: you did it again
0: (laughs) you did it again God look at that oh my goodness so there's that God is marvelous in all the things that he does I'm telling you it's just it's the longer I know him the more I'm like you are just what I said earlier in the episode like acknowledging reality yeah like more of that like every time that I see another place I'm like like, how is anybody like there is going to be no defense on judgment day, obviously, because mm-hmm. it's not actually it's not adversarial like our stupid court system. It's just Ooh. statement of fact. And then you get to be a witness to the statement. Of, like, you don't have it, There's nothing you could say because it's
1: just yeah. this is what happened. There's no I can't hire an attorney to, you know, to no, talk to, to God. lie
0: for me and try to persuade him <laughs> to 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 not give me exactly what it is. Anyway. Just that there's that, like, the more that I study, the more I'm just like, God, you, eh, this is insurmountable. Like, it's just, it's just everywhere. Anyway, I hope that you've enjoyed all of this. So, to just very briefly touch, we talked about Jesus the Christ or Messiah, Jesus the King who is coming, Jesus the Word or the Torah or the law, okay, because he's those things. Jesus the rabbi and the teacher, or the teacher if you prefer, because that's what it means. And Jesus the Nazarite or the Nazarene or of Nazareth, okay, because those are the last five things that we wanted to discuss as mantles that Jesus embodied while he was here physically. So next episode, we're going to be talking about something topically driven. I'm not really sure what we'll probably discuss it in the meantime. I would assume. And we'll come back to you in the next episode for that. But I hope that you have found this enjoyable. I hope it's been more than just enjoyable. I hope it's been productive and that the Holy spirit has used it to speak to you because he is amazing, man. If you don't know Jesus, if you don't know what we're talking about, please, please, please reach out to one of us. We have the email. It's jdse.podcast at gmail.com. We're also on Instagram if you like this kind of stuff on a much smaller condensed scale. Uh, I do a daily kind of devotion thing where I pick a verse. I read it in the English and the original, and then I give up brief and sometimes not as brief Explanation sometimes those of, things
1: be running like six, seven minutes. Yeah, sometimes they are.
0: But you know, putting it out there like that, and I think that's 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 all of our media right now, currently. Also, we're on YouTube. I'm I'm really behind. I need to actually like update the slides and stuff. Oh yeah, we only have like the first two or three things on YouTube, but we oh. also have a YouTube channel. We, I need to catch up. So there's those things. If you'd like somebody to pray with you, if you yeah, want to know so. more about Jesus, please reach out. This is not just a one sided thing. We are looking for people who want to know more about God, who, whether you liked it, whether you didn't, whether you have questions, this should not be a monologue. It should be a conversation. So please reach out. We'd love to hear from you. So for that, I'm going to say, keep seeking.